Welcome to Mysteries and Mimosas. My name is Max Sterling, and I'm here with your co-host, Aria Sterling. Hi, everyone. Hi, Aria. Are you ready to get into some trivia? I'm ready. This, too, as you can tell from the previous trending episodes, this is also from 1996. So, which 20th century Fox film starring Will Smith topped the box office, grossing over $306 million? Either Men in Black or Independence Day. Well, you have to pick one. Oh, man. Although I've never seen it, I know it was super popular. I'm going to say Independence Day. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. One point. Other top grossing movies in 1996 included Twister, Mission Impossible, The Rock, The Nutty Professor, and Ransom. I saw Twister that year at the drive-in, and when it was playing, it started raining and storming. So really? it like fit in with the movie. I swear. It was like, it was crazy. I kind of feel like you're making this I'm up. I'm not. I have people that were there that can tell you about it. Okay. Well, we'll see. We'll explore that. Here's a question more up your alley. In 1996, Disney released two animated movies. Name one. Mm, Toy Story? Nope. That was in 95. Animated. That's a Pixar. The Lion King? Nope. Hmm. No. So the two movies released in 1996 that were animated Disney movies are 101 Dalmatians and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. I don't think so. 101 Dalmatians is an older one, isn't it? Are you <laughs> are you challenging the I, the trivia? I don't know where you got these oh. facts, but I would, I'd like to know. I'd um, like to see your sources. This is according to Disney. Oh, well, I guess they probably know. <laughs> they probably know better than you. I don't know why. I felt like that was an older movie. Well, according to the year-end Billboard Top 100 songs... I have before me the top five songs. In order to get a point, you only have to give me the top five songs. I'm kidding. (laughs) You only have to give me one of the top five. If you give me the top song, I will automatically declare you the winner of this week's trivia, and you will have bragging rights for exactly one week. Oh, um, it's Spice Girls, a Spice Girls song? Is that in the top five? No. Oh. What about TLC? No. Okay. I don't know them. I suck at this. Well, I'm surprised that you didn't get it because it's your favorite song. I see you singing it all the time. (laughs) It's called the Macarena. Okay. Wow. No. No. (laughs) Okay. That was in the top five. That's the top one. That's the top song of 1996. The Macarena. Yikes. Macarena. Wow. All right. So I'm going to give you the mimosa recipe today. I've been wanting to give this one for a little while. We we haven't had a chance to do it because uh, we keep getting recommendations from our listeners. But this one is a Christmas one, and so I'm still kind of in that Christmas spirit. The tree's coming down, but my spirits are still up. Well, that's good. Yeah. I know it's, you know, two weeks into 2024, but here it goes. For today's mimosa recipe, we are using Trisha Yearwood's Christmas in a Cup from Williams-Sonoma. This mixer contains cranberry, tangerine, and lime juice. And of course, my favorite ingredient, champagne. All right, go ahead. What do you got? Today we talk about... Today's story is the story of Morgan Violi. This story begins on July 23rd, 1996, when in 1978, maroon Chevy van was stolen from a home in Dayton, Ohio. 
Dayton, Ohio is approximately four hours northeast of Bowling Green, Kentucky, which is where this crime takes place. The next day, on July 24, 1996, Morgan Violi was playing in the apartment complex area of the Colony Apartments in Bowling Green when she was abducted in broad daylight. Morgan's remains were later found in the neighboring state and nearby town of White House, Tennessee. In the two previous episodes, we've discussed the kidnapping, sexual assault, and murder of Jackie Beard, which took place in the nearby town of Clarksville, Tennessee. We also spoke about Lucy Meadows, who was reported missing from a mall in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. So just to recap, Jackie Beard was kidnapped near her home in Clarksville on July 8th, Morgan was kidnapped on July 24th, and Lucy was reported missing the next day on July 25th. And we're not quite sure, as we discussed last week, whether or not um, Lucy was kidnapped or whether or not her mom might have had something to do with it, right? Right. Jackie's remains were found on November 8th, and Lucy has never been found. So what happened to Morgan Violi? It's a good question. Well, before we explore what happened to Morgan, let's answer the question, who was Morgan? We reached out to Morgan's family and asked them to tell us about her. They were gracious enough to answer our request and agreed to participate in an interview with us to help us understand what happened to Morgan and what they went through over two decades ago. We hope you join us next week to hear from Morgan's mom, Stacy Pulliam, and Morgan's sister, Nikki Britt. I just have to interject real quick. Um, I could listen to Stacy and Nikki talk all the time. They have the best, you know, softest, kindest voice, welcoming voice, and, you know, they have that Southern accent. Yes. And they just draw you in. They do. I'm so appreciative to them. For, yeah. for doing that with us because I know and you know that's not an easy thing for anyone to you know go back to the worst time in their life and then tell strangers about that story yeah it's definitely a difficult thing to do and um, you know they they both they both did it and they did a really good job a fantastic job and I can't wait to to play that yeah so make sure you join us next week so, Morgan was born on November 3rd, 1988, to Stacy and Glenn Violi. Morgan had two half-sisters, Nikki and Heather. Morgan was your typical seven-year-old little girl. She loved dancing, gymnastics, cheerleading, and singing. Morgan's family members remember her as a happy kid. Morgan's sister Nikki best describes Morgan as being all things girl, with a touch of tomboy. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. When you listen to Nikki and Stacy describe Morgan, you'll get the sense that Morgan was quite an adventurous, independent, and very strong-willed kid. On the day Morgan was taken from her home, Morgan's parents, Stacy and Glenn, were separated. Stacy and Glenn were going through a divorce and child custody proceedings. At the time of this incident, Stacy was effectively a single mom, raising her three daughters, working night shift, doing everything she could to make sure her three girls were taken care of. And everything that I can tell, talking to them, she was doing a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, Stacy was, you know, going through a divorce, going through a separation, fighting to have custody of her kids, to take care of them, trying to do everything that's best for them, working mm-hmm. night shift, taking care of them during the day. Yeah. I mean, really, I mean, people like that deserve Mother of the Year Award in my book. Oh, of course. I mean, it's hard enough to be a parent 
when you when you have somebody else there with you, a partner helping you with all of that. So to take on all of that on your own, plus be working a full time job. Yeah, that's that's incredible. That's tough. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, Stacy was living in the in the colony apartments in Bowling Green with her three girls. In the early morning hours of July 24, 1996, Stacy was finishing up at work and headed to Glenn's house where she picked up the girls. Stacy took the girls home, got ready, and headed out the door to attend a child custody hearing with Glenn. Stacy recalls showing up for court, but Glenn never showed. During that court proceeding, Stacy was granted full custody of Heather and Nikki and received physical and full custody of Morgan. Stacy returned home and, as you would expect, laid down to get some much-needed rest. You know, she worked all night, went to pick up her kids, came home, got, got ready, ready, went to court. That was weird. Yeah. <laughs> went to court, came home. You know, she's probably has to go to work that night, I assume. So. Yeah, you know, I've worked my fair share of night shift. I hate them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm definitely built for the day. I'm a morning person by far, you know, more, more so than a night person. But I can tell you that even just... Working a night shift and having you here to help me with everything, you know, laundry, the house, everything. You mm -hmm. have to take care of everything. It's more than just, you know, going to work, coming home and getting some rest and feeding the kids and going back. Right. I mean, she's cleaning their rooms, you know, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Picking up after them, making sure that they're fed, making sure that they're clothed, making sure that they get to school. And I could not imagine doing that on my own without help. Me either. No way. As Stacy was asleep on the couch, all three girls were in and out of their apartment, playing with friends in the complex. Morgan, being the youngest, wasn't allowed to go outside, but of course, an energetic, independent, strong-willed seven-year-old girl isn't going to stay inside when her sisters and all the neighborhood children are outside enjoying the sun. You see those energetic and very strong-willed kids who will just tackle the world, and they think they could just do anything and be part of the big kids group and everything, and so... Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see where she would want to go outside and enjoy the sun. Of course, it's summertime, it's July, and her sisters, Nikki and Heather, are already outside playing with neighborhood siblings, Ashley, Brandon, and Destiny, in a place the kids called Thistle Haven. So, of course, as you guessed, Morgan ended up leaving the apartment. While playing in Thistle Haven, Nikki and Ashley decided to head back to the apartment to fill a milk jug with water. While on their way to the apartment, Nikki and Ashley passed a man driving a maroon van. Nikki recalls the door to the van was open. Nikki was able to see inside the van and remembers seeing an old couch with old material, but to this day cannot remember what the driver looked like. I find that so fascinating. You know, at that age, it's just remarkable that what sticks with you in your brain from, uh, you know, when you're a child, even when you're an adult, and the things that get away from your brain. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Nikki specifically remembers the color and the pattern of the couch and, and, you know, describing it as an old couch from her grandparents' house or from a grandparents' house, but still can't see the person's face. Yeah. Isn't it, it crazy how the brain works like that, though? It, like, you have such vivid memories of some things, and then it's almost like your brain blocks out other things. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to, you know, share. I, I can't help but when I was talking to Nikki or Nikki was telling us about this when she, she was talking about seeing the open door, which is also kind of a bizarre thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I remember I couldn't help but think when she's describing this event of the van and the person 
uh, when I was a kid and I almost got abducted by somebody in a van. And, and I'll never forget. I couldn't tell you the color of the van. I couldn't tell you. Yeah, I, I know exactly where I was, but I couldn't tell you anything other than looking in at the driver of that van who was yelling at me to get in. And all I can see were his big, thick Coke bottle glasses hmm. and, and his face of rage when I told him I'm not going with you. Wow. And I, you know, and I pedaled my bike away and that sticks with you. You know, those types of things stick with you. They're burned in your head. So as you know, I would just say, you know, I think whatever it is that's burned in Nikki's head from her remembering that day, it's, it's accurate. Yeah. And how bizarre is it to cruise through an apartment complex with your van door open? Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's almost, no, I'm not going to say it's almost as if I think that he had that door open on his van for a reason. You know, was it Morgan specifically he's looking for, or was this a crime of opportunity where he was just going to pick any child up? That's the question. Yeah. The driver of the van waved at Nikki and Ashley, and they waved back before heading inside to fill the milk jug with water. When Nikki and Ashley went inside, Stacy was on the couch catching up on some much-needed sleep. Nikki remembers hearing Morgan inside the apartment playing with her Barbies, and after filling the jug with water, Nikki and Ashley returned to Thistlehaven. After playing for a little while at Thistlehaven, Morgan's friend Destiny and Destiny's mom showed up, alerting the kids to Morgan's abduction. Nikki and Heather split up. Heather headed to start asking neighborhood friends if they witnessed anything, and Nikki ran home to alert her mom. After reporting Morgan's abduction to her mom, Nikki immediately called 911 for the first time in her life to report Morgan's abduction. Can you imagine how scary that was? Yeah. Being a I kid mean, no, and... I can't imagine that. I, I mean... Yeah, most kids, the first time they dial 911, it's by accident. Mm -hmm. You know, Nikki is experiencing, she she definitely had to grow up super fast in that moment. Yeah. If not beforehand, you know, being one of the older kids, taking care of Morgan while, you know, mom has to catch up on sleep and works night shift and, you know, maybe going back and forth to Glenn's house. She probably grew up very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. In a state of panic, Stacy jumps in her car to try to find Morgan, but returns shortly after to speak with the police. Soon, the entire apartment complex is filled with a large police presence, and the search for Morgan begins. While police are conducting their initial on-scene investigation, Glenn shows up, strangely enough, with flowers for Stacy. When Glenn was asked why he showed up with flowers for Stacy, Glenn reportedly said, I thought we were really getting somewhere. I thought our marriage was working. I can't get past this. I can't either. Like, I can't even say it without, I mean, it's, you literally had your final divorce hearing that morning. Well, a couple different things I would just like to point out. They have their divorce hearing. Well, it was a child custody hearing that morning. Okay. That he didn't show up for. If, If Glenn really thought that their marriage was going somewhere and that their marriage was working, why didn't he show up to court? Yeah, I don't know. I don't Because he said he forgot. His attorney showed up, but he forgot. Hmm. So, I mean, it's a strange behavior. Yeah. Does it mean anything? Maybe, maybe maybe not. not, But it's definitely suspicious or strange at the very least. Yes. So not only did Glenn show up with flowers for Stacy, Glenn also talked to several witnesses and made his own composite sketch of the suspect. As you would expect... And I'm assuming because of Glenn's strange behavior, detectives turned their attention to Morgan's dad. Yeah, I think that his 
his behavior early on was very strange to not only to Stacy but to police because you're showing up with flowers for your wife that you think you're you know you're in a marriage that you're saving even though you just went to your final custody hearing and didn't show up now you're I mean essentially effectively interfering in my opinion with what police are trying to do which is investigate this crime by having people or at least I know you know according to Nikki and and Stacy at least have Heather do a police artist sketch with Heather Mm -hmm. and kind of guide Heather in in the in the way to what he believes this person should have looked like. That's, yeah. that's all very suspicious. That's what we call a red flag. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that before. That's, it's definitely strange behavior. When detectives take a closer look at Glenn, Glenn was able to provide a reliable alibi. Glenn told detectives he was at work at the time of Morgan's abduction. Police were able to verify Glenn's alibi by verifying Glenn's time card. In addition, detectives talked to a witness who verified being with Glenn in a different town. So I, I'm so confused about this. Because at the time of Morgan's disappearance, he has an alibi in the form of a time card. He has a friend who says that he was with him in a different town. How quickly after Morgan, my question would be, how quickly after Morgan disappeared did Glenn show up? And mm-hmm. does that poke holes in his alibi? I mean, it seems a little convenient to me. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's, it's interesting timing for sure. If he showed up un, un, unexpected, the fa- they didn't expect him to show up that day. I don't think they did. No, and he just happens to show up when all these police are, are there and his daughter had just been abducted. It's, it's definitely interesting timing. Yeah, my question is, did somebody call him? Did he just happen right. to be there? You know, was he actually... If he has flowers, is he actually just showing up to try to make amends with Stacy? And this is just a big coincidence, and and it's all on the up and up. I don't know, but you know those things in of in and of themselves maybe aren't suspicious. But when you look at the totality of the circumstances, which is really what the police have to do, you have a person that is exhibiting very strange behaviors early on. They can't help but turn their look, you know, turn their investigation to look at him. Yeah. As searches continued to find Morgan, posters were made depicting Morgan and the police sketch of the unknown suspect. Yellow ribbons were also placed around town for Morgan. On October 20, 1996, three months after the abduction, Morgan's remains were found near an old barn on North Swift Road and Webster Road near White House, Tennessee. The maroon van, believed to be stolen the day before Morgan's abduction, was found three days later, more than 80 miles away, near Union 76 truck stop in Franklin, Tennessee. The same day Morgan was abducted, witnesses reported seeing a white van parked about 100 feet from where Morgan's remains were found for about four hours. So I think this white van is interesting because I remember witnesses described a specific detail about this van. Apparently it had this slatted window on the side. I'd like to know when this witness came forward to say, oh, you know, because Morgan's body wasn't found for quite some time, right. several months. three months. And so who's the witness and how do they remember that on that day of Morgan's disappearance, they saw that van there? So there's a couple different possibilities in my mind. One being maybe, maybe it was the maroon van that they saw there and they're wrong about the color and they're wrong about the detail of the slatted window. They just remember a van. Mm-hmm. Because I can tell you, 
recently in our neighborhood. I saw a vehicle parked there for several days, and it was out of place. And I remember it was silver, but I couldn't tell you what else was mm-hmm. about it because that just kind of stuck out to me. I think a, I think a van on the side of the road near an old barn for four hours sticks out to somebody. I think they can get those details wrong. I almost mm-hmm. think that these are the same vans. It could be. It's very possible. I mean, you're talking about three months later, somebody says, oh, wait, I saw a van there. You're right. Like we, we talked about before, the brain is a, is a weird thing. Like you, you misremember things all the time. I know I do that where I'm like, no, I would bet everything that this is the way it happened. And then you see like a video or something and it's like, no, that's not the way it happened at all. But in my brain, that's what I remember. Well, and it's something that you really have to be trained as an investigator to pay attention to Mm -hmm. is, is the way people remember things and the things that they say. And more importantly, how they say them. Conduct an investigation and say we have eight witnesses that saw the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Those eight witnesses are going to tell you completely different stories with, I mean, the crux of it is going to be the same, but they're going to give details because everybody remembers things differently. Exactly. Some people, if, if I asked you, for example, if you talk about a symphony, what do you think about when I ask you to think about a symphony? What pops into your head? Music. Okay. What do you do? You hear it? No, I see it. You see it. Mm-hmm. You, what do you see? The the orchestra. You see all the, the orchestra, all the mm-hmm. brass. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting thing that some people listening to this will say: I don't see it. I hear it. Mm. I can hear, you know, the woodwinds. I can hear the brass, and some people even can feel it. And it's just the way that our brain processes things much differently. And you have to remember that those types of things when you're interviewing suspects, witnesses, and victims, that everybody, everybody's brain works differently and everybody remembers things differently. And so, yeah, I, I think that these two vehicles could be the same. I, I've kind of thought that since I've looked at this all along. That's actually a really good point. Like, gave me chills <laughs> thinking about that because you're so right. Yeah, and you know, there you you interview people differently based on who they are. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm going to tell you right now. In my law enforcement career, the best thing that I've ever been become like my my skill set is interviewing people, talking to people, getting to read people, and understanding when they're telling me lies. I can I can do that very easily. Just, and I'm not bragging. I'm just. I've, I have a lot of repetition at it, and so I've become really good at it. And so I formulate my interviews with people completely different based on my interaction with them when I meet them. And, you know, law enforcement, specifically detectives, um, some patrol officers, you know, in smaller departments, and some people who are just interested in becoming a detective, they'll go to interview and interrogation schools, and there's lots of them out there. And I can tell you I've been to several and I've, I've picked up a tool from every single one of them. And the thing that investigators have to remember is to be kind of fluid when it comes to interviewing people. And, you know, what works on, some, on one person might not work on another. So it isn't known whether the white van has anything to do with Morgan's abduction. And as far as we can tell, a white van was never located. However... In March of 1997, investigators were able to forensically tie the maroon van stolen from Dayton, Ohio, to Morgan's abduction in Bowling Green. That's another reason why I think the white van, if it was there, probably didn't have anything to do with it. 
Yeah. And, and of course, we're only just making our conclusion based on news articles and the things that are out there. I don't have the case file. Maybe, maybe there is a white van that they're aware of that has everything to do with it that we don't know about because we're missing details. That's true. And, of course, we know that law enforcement investigators keep those details from even the family, but definitely from the public, hoping that one day they'll be able to interview somebody and have a piece of information that only that person should know. During the course of the investigation, Glenn was asked to take several polygraph examinations, all of which Glenn failed. Yeah, we don't know the questions contained within those polygraph tests, but we can assume that questions were related to Glenn's knowledge of the, or involvement related to the disappearance of Morgan. Um, yeah, I, I would love to know exactly what those series of questions were. Mm-hmm. Did, did it more so ask Glenn if he had any knowledge? Or was it more so, you know, trying to verify his alibi and his story? Did it Did it have anything... I don't know. I just, I would love to know what the, what the questions were. Yeah. Glenn wasn't silent about the police investigation. In fact, it was Glenn's belief he was being unjustly targeted by the police. Glenn is quoted as saying, I wish I could pass one so they could just do something else. Yeah. Hold on a minute. I I can't help but think about Greg Smith. Mm -hmm. And if you remember Greg Smith, when Kelsey became missing, the thing that he said was, Missy, we're going to go down to the police station and we're going to get our interview over with so that they can focus on finding Kelsey's killer. Yes. That's the words that he said. Glenn is using a very specific language stating, I wish that I could pass a polygraph so that they would just go do something else. Yeah, that's a strange choice of words. Go do something else. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. I mean, what what exactly would you like them to do? Right. I mean, if if... You know, there's, I'm just saying you, you can compare and contrast the two and I'm, I'm not here to crucify Glenn. I'm just saying his behavior is weird. He failed polygraphs. Um, you know, he, he's blaming the police for targeting him. Uh, maybe it feels that way, but I think your behavior probably has a little bit to do with it. Yeah, absolutely. To this day, Glenn Violi maintains his innocence, claiming he had nothing to do with Morgan's disappearance. I don't know if Glenn was directly involved, if Glenn knows something, or if Glenn is completely innocent. But what I do know is, Glenn's behavior during the time of his daughter's abduction was out of character. 100%. It's also worth mentioning, there is some information out there suggesting the suspect initially attempted to kidnap Morgan's friend, Destiny Miller, before taking Morgan. But as you'll hear when we talk to Stacy and Nikki next week, that might not have happened. So again, it's, it's one of those things that you find it in newspaper articles, but we don't really know how solid that information is. Right. And when you talk to Nikki, she'll, she'll just flat out tell you that didn't happen. You know, he, he only took, he only ever took Morgan. He didn't try to take destiny and through no fault of destinies, you know, Nikki says that destiny's story changed several times as you would expect a young child's story to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, I don't know if anybody in Bowling Green was trained to forensically interview children. Mm -hmm. They have to be interviewed one time. They have to be interviewed by a forensically trained person. And if you're allowing a child to give you multiple different statements, it becomes real in their head. Mm -hmm. So it's possible that Destiny was never, you know, the target or, or there was never an attempted kidnapping of Destiny, but 
as time goes on and she starts telling her story over and over again, that becomes real to her. And maybe, who knows, if we talk to her today, she could swear up and down that, yes, this did happen. Yeah. Yes, I remember it, when maybe it didn't. Because we don't always, you know, as children, as our brains are developing, we can we can misremember things. It's mm-hmm. super easy to misremember things. Yeah, it's it's easy as an adult, like I said earlier, to misremember things. But when you're a young child, absolutely, and you have all these people asking you questions, it's definitely easy to mis- misremember things. Yeah, 100%. And I'm just going to put it out there. I mean, you know, now everybody has a body camera. All cops have body cameras. Uh, Most states implement state laws where police are required to wear a body camera. And the reason I mention that is because it's easy for those cops now to look back and look at their body camera footage to remember what was happening. Mm -hmm. And I could tell you right now, I've interviewed people, and I record all my interviews, of course, I interview people and I remember it one way. And if I had to just write it based off of memory, it would look like I'm a liar Mm -hmm. because I remember it that way. And when I look back at some of my interviews and I start typing it up, I'm like, man, I don't remember that at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, but it does happen. And I've experienced it because I have to review body camera footage from other cops all the time. And sometimes they get it wrong. And I don't think it's any you know, nefarious act to try to deceive anybody. I think that we're all human and we all make mistakes. Yeah. And that goes back to what Nikki said. She cannot remember what the driver of the van looked like, but what she did tell us is that she's 100% certain that it was not Glenn driving the van. So, And that she would know. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Because she, she would have recognized him and she would remember that as somebody she knew because they waved at each other. So we at least have that bit of information, that he wasn't the driver of the van. Whether he had more knowledge about what happened due, you know, due to the suspicious way he was acting, I don't know. But Nikki is 100% certain that he was not driving the van. Yeah, and since we're talking because, you know, we just talked about how you can misremember things even as a child, I'm just going to say that I don't think Nikki misremembers that at all. You remember when you see your dad, number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, if it was Glenn driving that car, Morgan wouldn't have had to be forced into it like witnesses said. She would have got in with her dad. Yeah. Because that's somebody that you trust. Yep. And because this is still a cold case, I think the hope is that with advancements in technology, that maybe there's some kind of DNA that's, you know, left in the case that can still be tested. And... Hopefully, hopefully this is a good case for genetic genealogy that'll bring some closure to this family. Yeah, I mean, that's our hope. That's why we do these cases, to make people aware and, as always, hope that somebody listening knows something and can contact the Bowling Green Police Department and let them know. Because I know it did take them a couple of years, but they did finally officially clear Glenn. The police cleared him as a suspect in the case. And as far as I know, there's never been any other suspect or persons of interest in this case. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. I've never heard of anything or read anything about that. Yeah. So hopefully we can get this case out there. Like you said, maybe there will be an advancement in DNA technology to help bring closure to this case. Maybe somebody will have a tip after all of these years. Well, and, you know, let me backtrack on that. I did read... 
momentarily police thought that there was a potential suspect of um, somebody committed a similar crime in you know recent years, more recent years, and they considered that person for a little bit, but he was cleared because of the whatever they have in that maroon van. Oh, okay. So I don't know any more details about that. All I know is this is still an open case. It's an open cold case. And if you know anything, if you, if you know somebody that knows something and you can bring closure to this family, please call the Bowling Green Police Department at... What's the number? You have the number over there? Yeah. It's 270-393-4244. Remember to tune in next week to hear directly from Stacy and Nikki. In the meantime, join us as we raise our glasses and toast our delicious mimosas to Morgan Violi, a life that was taken from us too soon. Cheers. Cheers. And I would like to make a public apology to all you Disney fans. I am not a Disney fan. I would assume there's only one 101 Dalmatians movie. Well, you would be wrong. As I said before, the animated 101 Dalmatians was definitely released earlier than 1996. So because I was so adamant about that, I actually Googled it and it was released in 1961. The live action 101 Dalmatians with Glenn Close playing Cruella de Vil, that one was released in 1996. So... I accept your apology, and I win trivia. Okay, first of all, I want to mention that I'm not a Disney fan. You the said only that thing, already. Okay, I want to reiterate, I'm not a <laughs> Disney fan. My favorite thing about Disney is the Haunted Mansion ride. That's it. So I'm still going to say you lost trivia because you never, you never said The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The only thing that you ever said was Toy Story, which was way off. It wasn't way off. It was like a year off. Yeah. And by the way, it's not Notre Dame. It's the Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's how you say that. Okay. Well, you lose. I win.